CD2. Sunlight reflected off the white dust of the road and the stone wall opposite. Bees hummed between the little yellow flowers that grew on top of the wall. By Tiffany's feet the spaniel snorted and farted occasionally. But it was all wrong. She could feel the pressure bearing down on her, pushing at her, pushing at the landscape, squeezing it under the bright light of day. Miss Tick and her cradle of threads were motionless beside her, frozen in the moment of bright horror. Only the threads moved by themselves. The egg danced, the glass glinted, the beads slid and jumped from string to string. The egg burst. The coach rolled in. It arrived, dragging the world behind it in a cloud of dust and noise and hooves. It blotted out the sun. Doors opened, harnesses jingled, horses steamed. The spaniel sat up and wagged its tail hopefully. The pressure went. No, it fled. Beside Tiffany, Miss Tick pulled out a handkerchief and started to wipe egg off her dress. The rest of the shamble had disappeared into a pocket with remarkable speed. She smiled at Tiffany, but kept a smile as she spoke, making herself look slightly mad. Don't get up. Don't do anything. Just be as quiet as a little mouse, she said. Tiffany felt in no state to do anything but sit still. She felt like you feel when you wake up after a nightmare. The richer passengers got out of the coach, and the poorer ones climbed down from the roof. Grumbling and stamping their feet, trailing dust behind them, they disappeared. Now, said Miss Tick, when the inn door had swung shut, we're going to go for, um, a stroll. See that little woods up there? That's where we're heading. And when Mr. Crabber, the carter, sees your father tomorrow, he'll say he... He dropped you off here just before the coach arrived, and and everyone will be happy, and no one will have lied. That's important. Miss Tick, said Tiffany, picking up the suitcase. Yes? What happened just now? I don't know, said the witch. Do you feel all right? Uh, yes. You've got some yoke on your hat. And you're very nervous, Tiffany thought. That was the most worrying part. I'm sorry about your dress, she added. Oh, it's seen a lot worse, said Miss Tick. Let's go. Miss Tick, said Tiffany again as they trudged away. Er, uh, yes. You are very nervous, said Tiffany. If you told me why, that means there's two of us, which is only half the nervousness each. Miss Tick sighed. It was probably nothing, she said. Miss Tick, the egg exploded. Yes, um, a shamble, you see can be used as a simple magic detector and amplifier. It's actually very crude, but it's always useful to make one in times of distress and confusion. I think I probably didn't make it right, and sometimes you do get big discharges of random magic. You made it because you were worried, said Tiffany. Worried? Certainly not. I am never worried, snapped Miss Tick. However, since you raised the subject, I was concerned. Something was making me uneasy. Something close, I think. It was probably nothing. In fact, I feel a lot better now we're leaving. But you don't look it, Tiffany thought. And I was wrong. Two people means twice as much nervousness each. But she was sure there was nothing magical about two shirts. It was just a bend in the road. Twenty minutes later, the passengers came out to get into the coach. The coachman did notice that the horses were sweating and wondered why he could hear a swarm of flies when there were no flies to be seen. The dog, that had been lying in the road, was found later cowering in one of the inn's stables, whimpering. 
The woods was about half an hour's walk away, with Miss Tick and Tiffany taking turns to carry the suitcase. It was nothing special as woods go, being mostly full-grown beach, although once you know that beach drips unpleasant poisons on the ground beneath it to keep it clear, it's not quite the timber you thought it was. They sat on a log and waited for sunset. Miss Tick told Tiffany about shambles. They're not magical, then, said Tiffany. No, there's something to be magical through. You mean, like spectacles help you see, but don't see for you? That's right, well done. Is a telescope magical? Certainly not. It's just glass in a tube, but with one you could count the dragons on the moon. And, well, have you ever used a bow? No, probably not. But a shamble can act like a bow, too. A bow stores up muscle power as the archer draws it, and sends a heavy arrow much farther than the archer could actually throw it. You can make one out of anything, so long as it looks right. And then you can tell if magic is happening. Yes, if that's what you're looking for. When you're good at it, you can use it to help you do magic yourself, to really focus on what you have to do. You can use it for protection, like a curse net, or to send a spell, or... Well, it's like those expensive penknives, you know? The ones with a tiny saw and a scissors and a toothpick except that I don't think any witch has ever used a shamble as a toothpick. <laughs> All young witches should learn how to make a shamble. Miss Level will help you. Tiffany looked around the woods. The shadows were growing longer, but they didn't worry her. Bits of Miss Tick's teaching floated through her head. Always face what you fear. Have just enough money, never too much, and some string. Even if it's not your fault, it's your responsibility. Witches deal with things. Never stand between two mirrors. Never cackle. Do what you must do. Never lie, but you don't always have to be honest. Never wish. Especially don't wish upon a star which is astronomically stupid. Open your eyes, and then open your eyes again. Miss Level has got long grey hair, has she? She said. Oh, yes. "'And she's quite a tall lady, just a bit fat, "'and she wears quite a lot of necklaces,' Tiffany went on, "'and glasses on a chain, and surprisingly high-heeled boots.' "'Miss Tick wasn't a fool. "'She looked around the clearing. "'Where is she?' she said. "'Standing by the tree over there,' said Tiffany. "'Even so, Miss Tick had to squint. "'What Tiffany had noticed was that witches filled space.' In a way that was almost impossible to describe, they seemed to be more real than others around them. They just showed more. But if they didn't want to be seen, they became amazingly hard to notice. They didn't hide, they didn't magically fade away, although it might seem like that. But if you had to describe the room afterward, you'd swear there hadn't been a witch in it. They just seemed to let themselves get lost. "'Ah, yes, well done,' said Miss Tick. "'I was wondering when you'd notice,' <laughs> thought Tiffany." Miss Level got realer as she walked towards them. She was all in black, but clattered slightly as she walked because of all the black jewellery she wore. And she did have glasses, too, which struck Tiffany as odd for a witch. Miss Level reminded Tiffany of a happy hen, and she had two arms, the normal number. "'Ah, Miss Tick,' she said, "'and you must be Tiffany aching.' Tiffany knew enough to bow, which is don't curtsy unless they want to embarrass Roland. "'I'd just like to have a word with Miss Level, Tiffany, if you don't mind,' said Miss Tick meaningfully. "'Senior witch business.' "'Ha!' thought Tiffany again, because she liked the sound of it. 
I'll just go and have a look at the tree then, shall I? she said with what she hoped was withering sarcasm. I should use the bushes if I were you, dear, Miss Level called after her. I don't like stopping once we're airborne. There were some holly bushes that made a decent screen, but after being talked to as though she was ten years old, Tiffany would rather have allowed her bladder to explode. I beat the Queen of the Fairies, she thought as she wandered into the woods. All right, I'm not sure how, because it's all like a dream now, but I did do it. She was angry at being sent away like that. A little respect wouldn't hurt, would it? That's what the old witch Mistress Weatherwax had said, wasn't it? I show you respect, as you in turn will respect me. Mistress Weatherwax, the witch who all the other witches secretly wanted to be like, had showed her respect. So you'd think the others could make a bit of an effort in that department. She said, see me, and stepped out of herself, and walked away toward Miss Tick and Miss Level in her invisible ghost body. She didn't dare look down in case she saw her feet weren't there. When she turned and looked back at her solid body, she saw it standing demurely by the holly bushes, clearly too far away to be listening to anyone's conversation. As Tiffany stealthily drew nearer, she heard Miss Tick say, but quite frighteningly precocious, "'Oh, dear, I've never got on very well with cleverer people,' said Miss Level. "'Oh, she's a good child at heart,' said Miss Tick, which annoyed Tiffany rather more than frighteningly precocious had. "'Of course you know my situation,' said Miss Level, as the invisible Tiffany inched closer. "'Yes, Miss Level, but your work does you great credit. That's why Mistress Weatherwax suggested you. "'But I am afraid I'm getting a bit absent-minded,' Miss Level worried. "'It was terrible flying down here, because, like a big silly, I left my long-distance spectacles on my other nose. Her other nose, thought Tiffany. Both witches froze exactly at the same time. I'm without an egg, said Miss Tick. I have a beetle in a matchbox against just such an emergency, squeaked Miss Level. Their hands flew to their pockets and pulled out string and feathers and bits of coloured cloth. They know I'm here, thought Tiffany, and whispered, see me not. She blinked and rocked on her heels as she arrived back in the patient little figure by the holly bushes. In the distance, Miss Level was frantically making a shamble and Miss Tick was staring around the woods. "'Tiffany, come here at once!' she shouted. "'Yes, Miss Tick,' said Tiffany, trotting forward like a good girl. "'They spotted me somehow,' she thought. "'Well, they are witches, after all, even if, in my opinion, they're not very good ones.' Then the pressure came. It seemed to squash the woods flat and filled it with the horrible feeling that something is standing right behind you. Tiffany sank to her knees with her hands over her ears and a pain like the worst earache squeezing her head. Finished, shouted Miss Level. She held up a shamble. It was quite different from Miss Tick's, made up of string and crow feathers and glittering black beads and, in the middle, an ordinary matchbox. Tiffany yelled. The pain was like red-hot needles and her ears filled with the buzz of flies. The matchbox exploded. And then there was silence and birdsong and nothing to show that anything had happened apart from a few pieces of matchbox spiralling down along with iridescent fragments of wing case. Oh, dear, said Miss Level. He was quite a good beetle, as beetles go. Tiffany, are you all right? said Miss Tick. Tiffany blinked. The pain had gone as fast as it had arrived, leaving only a burning memory. She scrambled to her feet. I think so, Miss Tick. Then a word, if you please, said Miss Tick. She marched over to a tree and stood there looking stern. Yes, Miss Tick, said Tiffany. Did you do anything? 
said Miss Tick. You haven't been summoning things, have you? No. Anyway, I don't know how to, said Tiffany. It's not your little men, then, is it? said Miss Tick doubtfully. They're not mine, Miss Tick, and they don't do that sort of thing. They just shout crivens, and then they start kicking people on the ankle. You definitely know it's them. Well, whatever it was, it seems to have gone, said Miss Level. And we should go too, otherwise we'll be flying all night. She reached behind another tree and picked up a bundle of firewood. At least it looked exactly like that, because it was supposed to. My own invention, she said modestly. One never knows down here on the plains, does one? And the handle shoots out by means of this button. Oh, I'm so sorry. It sometimes does that. Did anyone see where it went? The handle was located in a bush and screwed back in. Tiffany, a girl who listened to what people said, watched Miss Level closely. She definitely had only one nose on her face, and it was sort of uncomfortable to imagine where anyone might have another one and what they'd use it for. Then Miss Level pulled some rope out of her pocket and passed it to someone who wasn't there. That's what she did, Tiffany was sure. She didn't drop it, she didn't throw it, she just held it out and let go, as though she'd thought she was hanging it on an invisible hook. It landed in a coil on the moss. Miss Level looked down and then saw Tiffany staring at her and laughed nervously. Silly me, she said. I thought I was over there. I'll forget my own head next. Well, if it's the one on top of your neck, said Tiffany cautiously, still thinking about the other nose, you've still got it. The old suitcase was roped to the bristle end of the broomstick, which now floated calmly a few feet above the ground. There, that'll make a nice comfy seat, said Miss Level, now the bag of nerves that most people turned into when they felt Tiffany staring at them. If you just hang on behind me, er, that's what I normally do. You... Normally hang on behind you, said Tiffany. How can... Tiffany, I've always encouraged your forthright way of asking questions, said Miss Tick loudly, and now, please, I would love to congratulate you on your mastery of silence. Do climb on behind Miss Level. I'm sure she'll want to leave while you've still got some daylight. The stick bobbed a little as Miss Level climbed onto it. She patted it invitingly. You're not a frightened of heights, are you, dear? She asked as Tiffany climbed on. No, said Tiffany. "'I shall drop in when I come up for the witch trials,' said Miss Tick, as Tiffany felt the stick rise gently under her. "'Take care!' It turned out that when Miss Level had asked Tiffany if she was scared of heights, it had been the wrong question. Tiffany was not afraid of heights at all. She could walk past tall trees without batting an eyelid. Looking up at huge, towering mountains didn't bother her a bit. What she was afraid of, although she hadn't realised it until this point, was depths.' She was afraid of dropping such a long way out of the sky that she'd have time to run out of breath screaming before hitting the rocks so hard that she'd turn into a sort of jelly and all her bones would break into dust. She was, in fact, afraid of the ground. Miss Level should have thought before asking the question. Tiffany clung to Miss Level's belt and stared at the cloth of her dress. "'Have you ever flown before, Tiffany?' asked the witch as they rose. "'Gurv!' squeaked Tiffany. "'If you like, I could take us round in a little circle,' said Miss Level. "'We shall have a fine view of your country from up here.' The air was rushing past Tiffany now. It was a lot colder. She kept her eyes fixed firmly on the cloth. "'Would you like that?' said Miss Level, raising her voice as the wind grew louder. "'It won't take a moment.' Tiffany didn't have time to say no, 
and in any case she was sure she'd be sick if she opened her mouth. The stick lurched under her and the world went sideways. She didn't want to look, but remembered that a witch is always inquisitive to the point of nosiness. To stay a witch, she had to look. She risked a glance and saw the world under her. The red-gold light of sunset was flowing across the land, and down there were the long shadows of two shirts, and farther away the woods and villages, all the way back to the long curved hill of the chalk, which glowed red, and the white carving of the chalk horse burned gold like some giant's pendant. Tiffany stared at it. In the fading light of the afternoon, with the shadows racing away from the sliding sun, it looked alive. At that moment, she wanted to jump off, fly back, get there by closing her eyes and clicking her heels together, do anything. No, she'd bundled those thoughts away, hadn't she? She had to learn, and there was no one on the hills to teach her. But the chalk was her world. She walked on it every day. She could feel its ancient life under her feet. The land was in her bones, just as Granny Aching had said. It was in her name, too. In the old language of the Nakmak Fiegel, her name sounded like land under wave. And in the eye of her mind, she walked in those deep prehistoric seas when the chalk had been formed in a million-year rain made of the shells of tiny creatures. She trod a land made of life and breathed it in and listened to it and thought its thoughts for it. To see it now, small, alone, in a landscape that stretched to the end of the world, was too much. She had to go back to it. For a moment the stick wobbled in the air. No! I know I must go! It jerked back, and there was a sickening feeling in her stomach as the stick curved away toward the mountains. A little bit of turbulence there, I think, said Miss Level over her shoulder. By the way, did Miss Tick warn you about the thick woolly pants, dear? Tiffany still shocked, mumbled something that managed to sound like no. Miss Tick had mentioned the pants, and how a sensible witch wore at least three pairs to stop ice forming, but she had forgotten about them. Oh, dear, said Miss Level, then we'd better hedge hop. The stick dropped like a stone. Tiffany never forgot that ride, though she often tried to. They flew just above the ground, which was the blur just below her feet. Every time they came to a fence or a hedge, Miss Level would jump it with a cry of, Here we go, or Apsa-daisy, which was probably meant to make Tiffany feel better. It didn't. She threw up twice. Miss Level flew with her head bent so far down as to be almost level with the stick, thus getting the maximum aerodynamic advantage from the pointy hat. It was quite a stubby one, only about nine inches high, rather like a clown hat without the bobbles. Tiffany found out later that this was so she didn't have to take it off when entering low-ceilinged cottages. After a while, an eternity from Tiffany's point of view, they left the farmlands behind and started to fly through foothills. Before long they'd left the trees behind too, and the stick was flying above the fast white waters of a wide river studded with boulders, spray splashed over their boots. She heard Miss Level yell above the roar of the river and the rush of the wind, "'Would you mind leaning back? This bit's a little tricky!' Tiffany risked peeking over the witch's shoulder and gasped. There was not much water on the chalk, except the little streams that people called bournes, which flowed down the valleys in late winter and dried up completely in the summer. Big rivers flowed around it, of course, but they were slow and tame. The water ahead wasn't slow and tame. It was vertical. The river ran up into the dark blue sky, soared up to the early stars. The broom followed it. 
Tiffany leaned back and screamed and went on screaming as the broomstick tilted in the air and climbed up the waterfall. She'd known the word, certainly, but the word hadn't been so big, so wet, and above all it hadn't been so loud. The mist of it drenched her. The noise pounded in her ears. She held on to Miss Level's belt as they climbed through spray and thunder and felt that she'd slip at any minute. And then she was thrown forward, and the noise of the falls died away behind her as the stick, now once again going along rather than up, sped across the surface of a river that, while still leaping and foaming, at least had the decency to do it on the ground. There was a bridge high above, and walls of cold rock hemmed the river in on either side. But the walls got lower, and the river got slower, and the air got warmer again until the broomstick skimmed across calm, flat water that probably didn't know what was going to happen to it. Silver fish zigzagged away as they passed over the surface. After a while, Miss Level sent them curving up across new fields, smaller and greener than the ones at home. There were trees again, and little woods in deep valleys. But the last of the sunlight was draining away, and soon all there was below was darkness. Tiffany must have dozed off, clinging to Miss Level, because she felt herself jerk awake as the broomstick stopped in mid-air. The ground was somewhere below, but someone had set out a ring of what turned out to be candle ends burning in old jars. Delicately, turning slowly, the stick settled down until it stopped just above the grass. At this point, Tiffany's legs decided to untwist, and she fell off. "'Up we get,' said Miss Level cheerfully, picking her up. "'You did very well.' Uh, "'Sorry about screaming and being sick,' Tiffany mumbled, tripping over one of the jars and knocking the candle out. She tried to make out anything in the dark, but her head was spinning. "'Did you light these candles, Miss Level?' Uh, "'Yes. Let's get inside. It's getting chilly,' Miss Level began. "'Though by magic,' said Tiffany, still dizzy. "'Well, it can be done by magic, yes,' said Miss Level. "'But I prefer matches, which are, of course, a lot less effort and quite magical in themselves when you come to think about it.' She untied the suitcase from the stick and said, "'Here we are, then. I do hope you'll like it here.' There was that cheerfulness again. Even when she felt sick and dizzy and quite interested in knowing where the privy was as soon as possible, Tiffany still had ears that worked and a mind that, however much she tried, wouldn't stop thinking. And it thought, that cheerfulness has got cracks around the edges. Something isn't right here. Chapter 3. A Single-Minded Lady There was a cottage, but Tiffany couldn't see much in the gloom. Apple trees crowded in around it. Something hanging from a branch brushed against her as, walking unsteadily, she followed Miss Level. It swung away with a tinkling sound. There was the sound of rushing water, too, some way away. Miss Level was opening a door. It led into a small, brightly lit, and amazingly tidy kitchen. A fire was burning briskly in the iron stove. Um, I'm supposed to be the apprentice, said Tiffany, still groggy from the flight. "'I'll make something to drink if you show me where things are.' "'No!' Miss Level burst out, raising her hands. The shout seemed to have shocked her, because she was shaking when she lowered them. "'No, no, I, I wouldn't dream of it,' she said in a more normal voice, trying to smile. "'You've had a long day. I'll show you to your room and where things are, and I'll bring you up some stew, and you can be an apprentice tomorrow. No rush.' Tiffany looked at the bubbling pot on the iron stove and the loaf on the table. It was freshly baked bread, she could smell that. The trouble with Tiffany was her third thoughts. First thoughts are the everyday thoughts. Everyone has those. Second thoughts are the thoughts you think about the way you think. People who enjoy thinking have those. 
third thoughts are thoughts that watch the world and think all by themselves. They're rare and often troublesome. Listening to them is part of witchcraft. They thought she lives by herself. Who lit the fire? A bubbling pot needs stirring from time to time. Who stirred it? And someone lit the candles. Who? Is there anyone else staying here, Miss Level? she said. Miss Level looked desperately at the pot and the loaf and back to Tiffany. No, there's only me, she said. And somehow Tiffany knew she was telling the truth. Or a truth, anyway. In the morning, said Miss Level, almost pleading. She looked so forlorn that Tiffany actually felt sorry for her. She smiled. Of course, Miss Level, she said. There was a brief tour by candlelight. There was a privy not far from the cottage. It was a two-holer, which Tiffany thought was a bit odd, but of course maybe other people had lived here once. There was also a room just for a bath, a terrible waste of space by the standards of home farm. It had its own pump and a big boiler for heating the water. This was definitely posh. Her bedroom was a nice room. Nice was a very good word. Everything had frills. Anything that could have a cover on it was covered. Some attempt had been made to make the room jolly, as if being a bedroom was a jolly wonderful thing to be. Tiffany's room back on the farm had a rag rug on the floor, a water jug and basin on a stand, a big wooden box for clothes, an ancient doll's house and some old calico curtains, and that was pretty much it. On the farm, bedrooms were for shutting your eyes in. The room had a chest of drawers. The contents of Tiffany's suitcase filled one drawer easily. The bed made no sound when Tiffany sat on it. Her bed had a mattress so old that it had a comfy hollow in it, and the springs all made different noises. If she couldn't sleep, she could move various parts of her body and play the Bells of St. Ungulants on the springs. Cling, twing, glong, gling, ping, bloing, dlink, plank, dloing, ding, plink. This room smelled different too. It smelled of spare rooms and other people's soap. At the bottom of her suitcase was a small box that Mr. Block, the farm's carpenter, had made for her. He did not go in for delicate work, and it was quite heavy. In it she kept keepsakes. There was a piece of chalk with a fossil in it, which was quite rare, and her personal butter stamp, which showed a witch on a broomstick, in case she got a chance to make butter here, and a dobby stone, which was supposed to be lucky because it had a hole in it. She'd been told that when she was seven, and had picked it up. She couldn't quite see how the hole made it lucky, but since it had spent a lot of time in her pocket, and then safe and sound in the box, it probably was more fortunate than most stones, which got kicked around and run over by carts and so on. There was also a blue and yellow wrapper from an old packet of Jolly Sailor Tobacco, and a buzzard feather, and an ancient flint arrowhead wrapped up carefully in a piece of sheep's wool. There were plenty of these on the chalk. The Knack MacFiegel used them for spear points. She lined these up neatly on top of the chest of drawers, alongside her diary. But they didn't make the place look more homey. They just looked lonely. Tiffany picked up the old wrapper and the sheep wool and sniffed them. They weren't quite the smell of the shepherding hut, but they were close enough to it to bring tears to her eyes. She had never spent a night away from the chalk before. She knew the word homesickness and wondered whether this cold, thin feeling growing inside her was what it felt like. 
Someone knocked at the door. It's me, said a muffled voice. Tiffany jumped off the bed and opened the door. Miss Level came in with a tray that held a bowl of beef stew and some bread. She put it down on the little table by the bed. If you put it outside the door when you're finished, I'll take it down later, she said. Thank you very much, said Tiffany. Miss Level paused at the door. It's going to be so nice having someone to talk to apart from myself, she said. I do hope you won't want to leave, Tiffany. Tiffany gave her a happy little smile, then waited until the door had shut, and she'd heard Miss Level's footsteps go downstairs before tiptoeing to the window and checking there were no bars on it. There had been something scary about Miss Level's expression. It was sort of hungry and hopeful and pleading and frightened all at once. Tiffany also checked that she could bolt the bedroom door on the inside. The beef stew tasted, indeed, just like beef stew, and not, just to take an example, completely and totally at random, stew made out of the last poor girl who'd worked here. To be a witch, you have to have a very good imagination. Just now, Tiffany was wishing that hers wasn't quite so good. But Mistress Weatherwax and Miss Tick wouldn't have let her come here if it was dangerous, would they? Well, would they? They might. They just might. Witches didn't believe in making things too easy. They assumed you used your brains. If you didn't use your brains, you had no business being a witch. The world doesn't make things easy, they'd say. Learn how to learn fast. But they'd give her a chance, wouldn't they? Of course they would. Probably. She'd nearly finished the not-made-of-people-at-all-honestly stew when something tried to take the bowl out of her hand. It was the gentlest of tugs, and when she automatically pulled it back, the tugging stopped immediately. Okay, she thought. Another strange thing. Well, this is a witch's cottage. Something pulled at the spoon, but again stopped as soon as she tugged back. Tiffany put the empty bowl and spoon back on the tray. All right, she said, hoping she sounded not at all scared. I've finished. The tray rose into the air and drifted gently toward the door, where it landed on the floor with a faint tinkle. Upon the door, the bolt slid back. The door opened. The tray rose up and sailed through the doorway. The door shut. The bolt slid across. Tiffany heard the rattle of the spoon as, somewhere on the dark landing, the tray moved on. It seemed to Tiffany that it was vitally important that she thought before doing anything. And so she thought, it would be stupid to run around screaming because your tray had been taken away. After all, whatever had done it had even had the decency to bolt the door after itself, which meant that it respected her privacy, even while it ignored it. She cleaned her teeth at the washstand, got into her nightgown and slid into the bed. She blew out the candle. After a moment she got up, relit the candle, and with some effort dragged the chest of drawers in front of the door. She wasn't quite certain why, but she felt better for doing it. She lay back in the dark again. Tiffany was used to sleeping while, outside on the downland, sheep barred and sheep bells occasionally went tonk. Up here there were no sheep to bar and no bells to tonk, and every time one didn't, she woke up thinking, what was that? But she did get to sleep eventually, because she remembered waking up in the middle of the night to hear the chest of drawers very slowly slide back to its original position. Tiffany woke up, still alive and not chopped up, 
when the dawn was just turning grey. Unfamiliar birds were singing. There were no sounds in the cottage, and she thought, I'm the apprentice, aren't I? I'm the one who should be cleaning up and getting the fire lit. I know how this is supposed to go. She sat up and looked around the room. Her old clothes had been neatly folded on top of the chest of drawers. The fossil and the lucky stone and the other things had gone, and it was only after a frantic search that she found them back in the box in her suitcase. Now look, she said to the room in general, I am a hag, you know. If there are any knack Fiegel here, step out this minute. Nothing happened. She hadn't expected anything to happen. The knack Fiegel weren't particularly interested in tidying things up anyway. As an experiment, she took the candlestick off the bedside table, put it on the chest of drawers and stood back. More nothing happened. She turned to look out of the window, and as she did so there was a faint blint noise. When she spun around, the candlestick was back on the table. Well, hmm, today was going to be a day when she got answers. Tiffany enjoyed the slightly angry feeling. It stopped her thinking about how much she wanted to go home. She went to put her dress on and realised that there was something soft yet crackly in a pocket. Oh, how could she have forgotten? But it had been a busy day, a very busy day, and maybe she'd wanted to forget anyway. She pulled out Roland's present and opened the white tissue paper carefully. It was a necklace. It was the horse. Tiffany stared at it. Not what a horse looks like, but what a horse be. It had been carved in the turf back before history began by people who had managed to convey in a few flowing lines everything a horse was. Strength, grace, beauty and speed, straining to break free of the hill. And now someone, someone clever and therefore probably also someone expensive, had made it out of silver. It was flat, just like it was on the hillside, and just like the horse on the hillside, some parts of it were not joined to the rest of the body. The craftsman, though, had joined these carefully together with tiny silver chain, so that when Tiffany held it up in astonishment, it was all there, moving while standing still in the morning light. She had to put it on. And there was no mirror, not even a tiny hand one. Oh, well. See me, said Tiffany, and far away down on the plains, something that had lost the trail awoke. Nothing happened for a moment, and then the mist on the fields parted as something invisible started to move, making a noise like a swarm of flies. Tiffany shut her eyes, took a couple of small steps sideways and a few steps forward, turned around and carefully opened her eyes again. There she stood in front of her, as still as a picture. The horse looked very good on the new dress, silver against green. She wondered how much it must have cost Roland. She wondered why. See me not, she said. Slowly she took the necklace off, wrapped it up again in its tissue paper, and put it in the box with the other things from home. Then she found one of the postcards from two shirts, and a pencil, and with care and attention she wrote Roland a short thank-you note. After a flash of guilt, she carefully used the other postcard to tell her parents that she was completely still alive. Then, thoughtfully, she went downstairs. It had been dark last night, so she hadn't noticed the posters stuck up all down the stairs. They were from circuses, and were covered with clowns and animals and that old-fashioned poster lettering where no two lines of type are the same. They said things like, Thrills galore, hurry, hurry, hurry. Professor Monty Bladder's three-ring circus and cabinet of curiosities. See the horse with his head where his tail should be. See the amazing dislocating Jack put a lion's head in his actual mouth. 
see the egress. Clown, clowns, clowns. The flying Pastrami brothers will defy gravity, the greatest force in the universe, without a net. See Clarence, the tap-dancing mule. Wonder at Topsy and Tipsy, the astounding mind-reading act. And so it went on, right down to tiny print. They were strange, bright things to find in a little cottage in the woods. She found her way into the kitchen. It was cold and quiet, except for the ticking of a clock on the wall. Both the hands had fallen off the clock face and lay at the bottom of the glass cover, so while the clock was still measuring time, it wasn't inclined to tell anyone about it. As kitchens went, it was very tidy. In the cupboard drawer, under the sink, forks, spoons and knives were all in neat sections, which was a bit worrying. Every kitchen drawer Tiffany had ever seen might have been meant to be neat, but over the years had been crammed with things that didn't quite fit, like big ladles and bent bottle openers, which meant that they always stuck unless you knew the trick of opening them. Experimentally, she took a spoon out of the spoon section, dropped it among the forks and shut the drawer. Then she turned her back. There was a sliding noise and a tinkle exactly like the tinkle a spoon makes when it's put back among the other spoons, who have missed it and are anxious to hear its tales of life among the frighteningly pointy people. This time she put a knife in with the forks, shut the drawer and leaned on it. Nothing happened for a while, and then she heard the cutlery rattling. The noise got louder, the drawer began to shake, the whole sink began to tremble. All right, said Tiffany, jumping back. Have it your way. The drawer burst open, the knife jumped from section to section like a fish, and the drawer slammed back. Silence. Who are you? said Tiffany. No one replied. But she didn't like the feeling in the air. Someone was upset with her now. It had been a silly trick anyway. She went out into the garden quickly. The rushing noise she had heard last night was made by a waterfall not far from the cottage. A little water wheel pumped water into a big stone cistern and there was a pipe that led into the house. The garden was full of ornaments. They were rather sad, cheap ones. Bunny rabbits with crazy grins, pottery deer with big eyes, gnomes with pointy red hats and expressions that suggested they were on bad medication. Things hung from the apple trees or were tied to posts all around the place. There were some dream catchers and curse nets, which she sometimes saw hanging up outside cottages at home. Other things looked like big shambles spinning and tinkling gently. Some, well, one looked like a bird made out of old brushes, but most looked like piles of junk. Odd junk, though. It seemed to Tiffany that some of it moved slightly as she went past. When she went back into the cottage, Miss Level was sitting at the kitchen table. So was Miss Level. There were, in fact, two of her. Sorry, said the Miss Level on the right. I thought it was best to get it over with right now. The two women were exactly alike. Oh, I see, said Tiffany. You're twins. No, said the Miss Level on the left. I'm not. This might be a little difficult for you to understand, said the other Miss Level. Let me see now. You know how twins are sometimes said to be able to share thoughts and feelings, said the first Miss Level. Tiffany nodded. Well, said the second Miss Level, I'm a bit more complicated than that. I suppose because I'm one person with two bodies, said the first Miss Level. And now they spoke like players in a tennis match, slamming the words back and forth. I wanted to break this to you, 
gently because some people get upset by the idea and find it creepy or just plain weird. The two bodies stopped. Sorry about that last sentence, said the Miss Level on the left. I only do that when I'm really nervous. Um, do you mean that you both... Tiffany began, but the Miss Level on the right said quickly, There is no both. There's just me. Do you understand? I know it's hard, but I have a right right hand and a right left hand and a left right hand and a left left hand. It's all me. I can go shopping and stay home at the same time, Tiffany. If it helps, think of me as one person with four arms and four legs and four eyes. All four of those eyes now watched Tiffany nervously. And two noses, said Tiffany. That's right, you've got it. My right body is slightly clumsier than my left body, but I have better eyesight in my right pair of eyes. I'm human, just like you, except that there's more of me. But one of you, that is, one half of you, came all the way to two shirts for me, said Tiffany. Oh, yes, I can split up like that, said Miss Level. I'm quite good at it, but if there's a gap of more than twenty miles or so, I get rather clumsy. And now, a cup of tea would do us both good, I think. Before Tiffany could move, both the Miss Levels stood up and crossed the kitchen. Tiffany watched one person make a cup of tea using four arms. There are quite a few things that need to be done to make a cup of tea, and Miss Level did them all at once. The bodies stood side by side, passing things from hand to hand to hand, moving kettle and cups and spoon in a sort of ballet. When I was a child, they thought I was twins, she said over one of her shoulders, and then they thought I was evil, she said over another shoulder. Are you? said Tiffany. Both of Miss Level turned around, looking shocked. What kind of question is that to ask anyone? she said. Um... The obvious one, said Tiffany. I mean, if they said, yes, I am, <laughs> that would save a lot of trouble, wouldn't it? Four eyes narrowed. Mistress Weatherwax was right, said Miss Level. She said you were a witch to your boots. Inside, Tiffany beamed with pride. Well, the thing about the obvious, said Miss Level, is that it so often isn't. Did Mistress Weatherwax really take off her hat to you? Yes. One day perhaps you'll know how much honour she did you, said Miss Level. Anyway, no, I'm not evil, but I nearly became evil, I think. Mother died not long after I was born. My father was at sea and never came back. Worst things happen at sea, said Tiffany. It was something Granny Aching had told her. Yes, right, and probably they did, or possibly he never wanted to come back in any case, said Miss Level dryly. And I was put in a charity home. Bad food, horrible teachers, blah, blah, and I fell into the worst company possible, which was my own. It's amazing the tricks you can get up to when you've got two bodies. Of course, everyone thought I was twins. In the end, I ran away to join the circus. Me? Can you imagine that? Topsy and Tipsy, the astounding mind-reading act, said Tiffany. Miss Level stood stock-still, her mouths open. It was on the posters over the stairs, Tiffany added. Now Miss Level relaxed. Oh, yes, of course, very quick of you, Tiffany. Yes, you do notice things, don't you? I know I wouldn't pay money to see the egress, said Tiffany, 
it just means the way out. Knowing the dictionary all the way through does have some uses. Clever, said Miss Level. Monty put that on a sign to keep people moving through the believe-it-or-not tent. This way to the egress. Of course, people thought it was a female eagle or something, so Monty had a big man with a dictionary outside to show them they got exactly what they paid for. Have you ever been to a circus? Once, Tiffany admitted. It hadn't been much fun. Things that try too hard to be funny often aren't. There had been a moth-eaten lion with practically no teeth, a tightrope walker who was never more than a few feet above the ground, and a knife-thrower who threw a lot of knives at an elderly woman in pink tights on a big spinning wooden disc and completely failed to hit her every time. The only real amusement was afterward, when a cart ran over the clown. "'My circus was a lot bigger,' said Miss Level when Tiffany mentioned this, "'although, as I recall, our knife-thrower was also very bad at aiming.' We had elephants and camels and a lion so fierce it bit a man's arm nearly off. Tiffany had to admit that this sounded a lot more entertaining. And what did you do? she said. Well, I just bandaged him up while I shooed the lion off him. Yes, Miss Level, but I meant in the circus, just reading your own mind. Miss Level beamed at Tiffany. That, yes, and nearly everything else too, she said. With different wigs on, I was the stupendous Bohunkus sisters— I juggled plates, you know, and wore costumes covered in sequins. And I helped with the high wire act. Not walking the wire, of course, but generally smiling and glittering at the audience. Everyone assumed I was twins, and circus people didn't ask too many personal questions in any case. And then what with one thing and another, this and that, I came up here and became a witch. Both of Miss Level watched Tiffany carefully. That was quite a long sentence, that last sentence, said Tiffany. "'Yes, it was, wasn't it?' said Miss Level. "'I can't tell you everything. "'Do you still want to stay? "'The last three girls didn't. "'Some people find me slightly odd.' "'Um, I'll stay,' said Tiffany slowly. "'The thing that moves things about is a bit strange, though.' "'Miss Level looked surprised and then said, "'Oh, do you mean Oswald? "'There's an invisible man called Oswald who can get into my bedroom,' "'said Tiffany, horrified. "'Oh, no!' That's just his name. Oswald isn't a man. He's an undergeist. Have you heard of poltergeists? Um, invisible spirits that throw things around? Good, said Miss Level. Well, an undergeist is the opposite. They're obsessive about tightness. He's quite handy around the house, but he's absolutely dreadful if he's in the kitchen when I'm cooking. He keeps putting things away. I think it makes him happy. Sorry, I should have warned you, but he normally hides if anyone comes to the cottage. He's shy. "'And he's a man. I mean, a male spirit. "'How would you tell? He's got no body and he doesn't speak. "'I just called him Oswald because I always picture him as a worried little man with a dustpan and brush.' "'The left Miss Level giggled when the right Miss Level said this. "'The effect was odd, and if you thought that way, also creepy. "'Well, we are getting on well,' said the right Miss Level nervously. "'Is there anything more you want to know, Tiffany?' "'Yes, please,' said Tiffany. "'What do you want me to do?' What do you do? And mostly, it turned out, what Miss Level did was chores. Endless chores. You could look in vain for much broomstick tuition, spelling lessons or pointy hat management. They were, mostly, the kind of chores that are just chores. There was a small flock of goats, technically led by Stinky Sam, who had a shed of his own and was kept on a chain, but really led by Black Meg, the senior nanny, 
who patiently allowed Tiffany to milk her, and then, carefully and deliberately, put a hoof in the milk bucket. That's a goat's idea of getting to know you. A goat is a worrying thing if you're used to sheep, because a goat is a sheep with brains. But Tiffany had met goats before, because a few people in the village kept them for their milk, which is very nourishing. And she knew that with goats you had to use per-psychology. Tiffany knew what psychology was, but it hadn't been a pronunciation dictionary. If you got excited and shouted and hit them, hurting your hand because it's like slapping a sack full of coat hangers, then they had won and sniggered at you in goat language, which is almost all sniggering anyway. By day two, Tiffany learned that the thing to do was reach out and grab Black Meg's hind leg just as she lifted it up to kick the bucket, and lift it up further. That made her unbalanced and nervous, and the other goats sniggered at her, and Tiffany had won. Next there were the bees. Miss Level kept a dozen hives, for the wax as much as the honey, in a little clearing that was loud with buzzing. She made Tiffany wear a veil and gloves before she opened a hive. She wore some too. Of course, she observed, if you're careful and sober and well-centred in your life, the bees won't sting. Unfortunately, not all the bees have heard about this theory. Good morning, Hive Three. This is Tiffany. She'll be staying with us for a little while. Tiffany half expected the whole hive to pipe up in some horrible high-pitched buzz. Good morning, Tiffany. It didn't. Why did you tell them that, she said. Oh, you have to talk to your bees, said Miss Level. It's very bad luck not to. I generally have a little chat with them most evenings. News and gossip, that sort of thing. Every beekeeper knows about telling the bees. And who do the bees tell? asked Tiffany. Both of Miss Level smiled at her. Other bees, I suppose, she said. So, if you knew how to listen to the bees, you'd know everything that was going on, yes? Tiffany persisted. You know, it's funny you should say that, said Miss Level. There have been a few rumours, but you'd have to learn to think like a swarm of bees. One mind with thousands of little bodies. Much too hard to do, even for me. She exchanged a thoughtful glance with herself. Maybe not impossible, though. Then there were the herbs. The cottage had a big herb garden, although it contained very little that you'd stuff a turkey with, and at this time of year there was still a lot of work to be done collecting and drying, especially the ones with important roots. Tiffany quite enjoyed that. Miss Level was big on herbs. There is something called the Doctrine of Signatures. It works like this. When the creator of the universe made helpful plants for the use of people, he, or, in some versions, she, put little clues on them to give people hints. A plant useful for toothache would look like teeth. One to cure earache would look like an ear. One good for nose problems would drip green goo, and so on. Many people believed this. You had to use a certain amount of imagination to be good at it, but not much in the case of nose dropwort. And in Tiffany's world, the creator had got a little more creative. Some plants had writing on them if you knew where to look. It was often hard to find and usually difficult to read because plants can't spell. Most people didn't even know about it and just used the traditional method of finding out whether plants were poisonous or useful by testing them on some elderly aunt they didn't need. But Miss Level was pioneering new techniques that she hoped would mean life would be better for everyone, and, in the case of the ants, often longer too. This one is false gentian, 
she told Tiffany when they were in the long, cool workroom behind the cottage. She was holding up a weed triumphantly. Everyone thinks it's another toothache cure, but just look at the cut root by stored moonlight using my blue magnifying glass. Tiffany tried and read, Good for four colds, may course, drowsiness, do not operate, heave machinery. Terrible spelling, but not bad for a daisy, said Miss Level. You mean plants really tell you how to use them, said Tiffany. Well, not all of them, and you have to know where to look, said Miss Level. Look at this, for example, on the common walnut. You have to use the green magnifying glass by the light of a taper made of red cotton, thus. Tiffany squinted. The letters were small and hard to read. May contain nut, she ventured. But it's a nutshell. Of course it'll contain a nut. Um, won't it? Not necessarily, said Miss Level. It may, for example, contain an exquisite miniature scene wrought from gold and many-coloured precious stones depicting a strange and interesting temple set in a far-off land. Well, it might, she added, catching Tiffany's expression. There's no actual law against it. As such, the world is full of surprises. That night, Tiffany had a lot more to put in her diary. She kept it on top of her chest of drawers with a large stone on it. Oswald seemed to get the message about this, but he had started to polish the stone. And pull back, and rise above the cottage, and fly the eye across the night time. Miles away pass invisibly across something that is itself invisible, but which buzzes like a swarm of flies as it drags itself over the ground. Continue the roads and towns and trees rushing behind you with zip-zip noises until you come to the big city, and near the centre of the city the high old tower, and beneath the tower the ancient magical university, and in the university the library, and in the library the bookshelves, and the journey has hardly begun. Bookshelves stream past, the books are on chains, some snap at you as you pass, and here is the section of the more dangerous books, the ones that are kept chained in cages, or in vats of iced water, or simply clamped between lead plates. But here is a book, faintly transparent and glowing with thalmic radiation under a glass dome. Young wizards about to engage in research are encouraged to go and read it. The title is Hivers, a dissertation upon a device of amazing cunning by Sensibility Bustle, D.M. Phil B.L.L. Patricius, Professor of Magic. Most of the handwritten book is about how to construct a large and powerful magical apparatus to capture a hiver without harm to the user. But on the very last pages, Dr. Bustle writes, or wrote, According to the ancient and famous volume Res Centum et Una Quas Magus Facere Potet, uh, 101 Things a Wizard Can Do, hivers are a type of demon. Indeed, Professor Poldred classifies them as such in I Spy Demons, and Cuvay gives them a section under Wandering Spirits in Libar Imanis Monstrorum, the Monster Book of Monsters. However, ancient texts discovered in the Cave of Jars by the ill-fated first expedition to the Loco region give quite a different story, which bears out my own not inconsiderable research. Hivers were formed in the first seconds of creation, they are not alive, but they have, as it were, the shape of life. 
They have no body, brain, or thoughts of their own, and a naked hiver is a sluggish thing indeed, tumbling gently through the endless night between the worlds. According to pole dread, most end up at the bottom of deep seas, or in the bellies of volcanoes, or drifting through the hearts of stars. Pole dread was a very inferior thinker compared to myself, but in this case he is right. Yet, a hiver does have the ability to fear and to crave. We cannot guess what frightens a hiver, but they seem to take refuge in bodies that have power of some sort, great strength, great intellect, great prowess with magic. In this sense, they are like the common hermit elephant of Hawanderland, Elephas solitarius, which will always seek the strongest mud hut as its shell. There is no doubt in my mind that hivers have advanced the cause of life. Why did fish crawl out of the sea? Why did humanity grasp such a dangerous thing as fire? Hivers, I believe, have been behind this, firing outstanding creatures of various species with a flame of necessary ambition, which drove them onward and upward. But what is it that a hiver seeks? What is it that drives them forward? What is it they want? This I shall find out. End of CD 2